Hey everyone, and welcome to the Why in Your Twenties. This is Fifi Nat here. We are two counselors in our twenties, navigating our adulthood away from our home country. This is where we explore questions that might come across in our twenties, including relationships, identities, and all kinds of uncertainties. Some topics will be fun; others can be a bit scary and uncomfortable. But sit with it, because that's actually when we learn and grow. Just a friendly reminder: the information presented in this podcast is for general information purposes only. If you are struggling, please seek professional help. We might not have everything figured out yet, but together we can make this journey less lonely and scary. So, welcome, welcome on board and let the journey begin. All right, welcome everyone to another episode of the Why in Your Twenties. Yay! Yay! <laughs> Today is really exciting day because we have a special guest with us, Annie. Hi, hello. Ah,、oh, thank you so much for having me here. Wow, it's been an interesting week. We had a bit of a story to share, didn't we, about、um, getting drunk on chicken? <laughs> um, I think was it Natalie? You said you got drunk on chicken the other night, and I I thought I had a hangover yesterday, but I had some chicken. I was a bit unsure about the day before, and I'm still feeling a little bit woozy from it. So I think maybe I got a bit drunk drunk on chicken too. I think our our definition of drunk on chicken and your definition of drunk drunk on chicken is very different. I think so. I'm feeling not so good, but but really unclear in their head. You were on a high. I get it right. <laughs> I feel like I'm on the highway. <laughs> <laughs> Yesterday I feel like I was on the highway. Now I'm more with Annie. It's like my my head is now functioning well. Yeah, it's like a completely like a hangover. Okay, the audience probably need a bit of context about this. So we went for、um, Korean fried chicken yesterday, and we end up ordering too much. So we're just like really full, having a lot of chicken. We have chicken feet. We have you know. Chicken, boneless chicken, and all kinds of chicken that you can think of, and to the point where like we're so full, but we also start feeling a little bit like iffy, like woohoo kind of thing. That's our definition of drunk on chicken,、yeah. but that's different from Annie's one because. Yeah, I'm starting to wonder if it was food poisoning. I'm usually very careful with chicken, and this chicken just didn't have as much flavour as normal. And I never go past the use-by date, but this time I did, and I had the bones in a soup. And so maybe it's psychological as well. Maybe it really was the hangover. I just <laughs> want to blame the chicken because I don't want to take responsibility for my bad behaviour. I don't know. Well, we'll never know. We'll just blame the chicken. We'll blame the chicken. Yeah, it、yeah. is. It is the、mm. chicken's fault. Completely.、Mm. How dare they? How dare they? Yes. Anyway, as the audience would have seen the title today, we are talking about monogamy and polyamory. Shall I do a bit of an introduction? Oh yeah! Sorry, <laughs> I'm so sorry. Yes. No, it's fine. Oh, I didn't mean to prompt you on that. But、um, so I'm、um, a Kiwi. Um, so I've been in Australia seventeen years. So I'm also navigating part of my life away from my home country, but I, I admit I'm not in my twenties. I'm a trans woman,、um, bisexual, polyamorous,、um, a counsellor, and specialising in ethical non-monogamous relationships, among many other things. So that's my brief on that. That's really great summary of you. Thank you.、Uh, me and Viv met Annie. In the Master of Counseling course as well, and I did my placement with Annie. It was a lovely experience. Yes,、Aww. it was. It was lovely working with you. 
Oh, now I want to work with you. <laughs> <laughs> we can find a way. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's the summary of our guest today. And given her background, it makes so much more sense that you know we invite you as a guest. And I think I can be completely honest with you. Before we start preparing this episode, I have no idea. I did a lot of like research. I read a lot of papers, and I'm just excited to hear more about that. If you've been reading um, a lot of the research, you probably know more than I do on a, on a lot of <laughs> stuff. Um, I've read some too. I kind of need to if I'm going to specialize in that area. But a, a lot of it for me comes from lived experience as well. And I think that's all that matters, right? Sometimes it's not just textbook, but... Yeah. The experience, mm. that's your experience, that's mm. always valid. Yeah. And it's really good when you do read the research and you go, that my, that the, my lived experience relates to the research. Like, to me, it gives the research a bit more credibility and it also gives me a bit of validation of my experience as well, which is really good. Mm. Shall we dive in? Let's dive in. Okay. Maybe you can, Annie, you can give us a definition of what I can, yeah. Um, well, let's do monogamy first, because this is um, the norm in a lot of societies, not all societies, not, not all cultures, but in, in our one here. And um, some will call it mononormativity, which is, means it's like the cultural norm or the social norm. And um, the norm of, of monogamy, monogamy, if you, if you look at some of the way the word's structured, it kind of means being married to only one person. But it's also used um, in biology for um, mating behaviour in animals where they only have one partner um, and there was belief that birds were monogamous for a wee while but a lot of them really aren't and they found a lot of variation there but it's also for humans that um, are sexually exclusive um, and we can probably add romantically exclusive now as well to just one partner and that's that's so it's a general it's not just about marriage it's about exclusivity and did I pronounce that right? Exclusivity in sexual and romantic relationships. So that's monogamy. So this is probably what we're deviating away from today. That that's is so cool. I never heard, like they used the same word in biology as well. Yeah, for, um, for species mating behavior. I think they're trying to find an analog to what humans do, but a lot of the species they thought yeah. were monogamous actually weren't. Even yeah. birds, you know, that, are, that bond almost for a lifetime, you know, I mean, one of them will fly off and, you know, see somebody else. It's, it's normal. It's mm -hmm. normal to be non-monogamous outside of humans, especially in um, our closest relatives. So if you think of the, um, you know, genetically and evolutionary, the, like the bonobo and the, the, the common chimpanzee, mm -hmm. and, and otherwise other close relatives like the orangutan and gorillas, um, a lot of them, they don't have a strictly monogamous relationships. The, the bonobo chimpanzee is most known for just having a bit of, they, they kind of share everything they're, they're not really that as hierarchical as other um, primates or as other apes but they have a very um yeah they they share sexually they're very close to each other and they're our closest relatives along with the common chimpanzee so we kind of have that in our genetics that we can be monogamous we can be polyamorous which is like we'll call the opposite to monogamy for now um and they're both like mating strategies that we've got access to, but I think it's our culture that has um, evolved to, to make monogamy the norm. And that's what it's been. Sorry, that was a long definition on monogamy. I got it, went on a sidetrack. 
Shall I go into ethical non-monogamy? Yeah, sure. So um, there's a couple of terms being used, ethical non-monogamy and consensual non-monogamy, and they kind of mean the same thing. It's where people are um, having experiences outside their primary relationship, so it's not exclusive, and that often means sexually not exclusive, but one of them also means romantically not exclusive. That's where it's, you know, matters of the heart, where you can love another person as well. Uh, so consensual kind of means it's consensual. Everybody who's involved is, is okay with it. Um, there's no coercion. It's, it's willing. And it's different to non-consensual polyamory, which is probably the most common, which you might know as infidelity or cheating. Um, I think something like 50% of people want to have experiences outside their relationship, their main relationships, um, and about half of those eventually do at some point. So it's actually really common compared to ethical non-monogamy, which might be less than 10% of the population, whereas the cheating part, probably 25 And it's funny because um, cheating seems to be accepted uh, in our culture here, anyway, it's, it's not a good thing, but it seems to have a certain amount of societal acceptance that every, a lot of people cheat, but um, people that are polyamorous or ethical non-monogamous, there's stigma towards it. So you would think it would be the other way around, but it's not necessarily. So, yeah, so each partner is agrees with it or on board with it, and there's three main types of... Um, ethical non-monogamy and they each one has a lot of subtypes as well so one of them is swinging this is probably the oldest one conceptually goes back oh somewhere last century and it's where people like started off as like wife swapping so you know you would be a couple and you'd get together with another couple and you'd swap partners um these days and it's kind of evolved into parties um, which you'll still find around the place at the moment, this old swinging party culture where people will go to these parties and um, pretty much have sex with each other. But you usually go with your, your main partner as well. So it's consensual, you're both there, you're having sex with other people. And it's usually just sexual. Mm. Um, the other one that's usually just sexual is open relationships where you... You have a relationship with your primary partner, but you have an agreement where it's okay to have sex with other people, and you might have a few rules around that. Um, I've had rules around some of mine. And then open relationships um, also tends to be more sexual, so people have sex outside their relationships. and But instead of doing it as a couple, it's usually the individual that will have other sexual partners. The interesting thing about sexual partners, I think... It started off that way because um, it's less threatening. You know, people are in a relationship because they love each other and it's not usually about sex. So that kind of becomes okay. The trouble is when you start having sex with other people, you're also, um, you know, you're, you're, you're putting oxy oxytocin into your system, you're forming bonds and you can form um, love relationships out of it. So it can get a little bit complex in those. The... Um, other one is polyamory, which is one I would relate to the most. I have had experience in the others, but mainly polyamory. And that's where it's a um, love relationship as well. 
uh, or can be a love relationship as well. It's not just about sex. It's it's understanding that you know your partner may actually fall in love with somebody else, and that's fine. And to be comfortable with that and be consenting to that. So if you think poly, meaning many, and amory, kind of meaning love. So it's multiple mm. loves. There's um, sub groups within that probably way too many to mention uh, but under polyamory there's a thing called hierarchy so for example if I'm in a relationship with somebody that I call a primary relationship and then I'm in a relationship with someone else that's a secondary relationship it means my primary relationship has priority and that my partner may veto the other person they might say oh look you know you seen this other person is interfering with ours so I, don't, I want you to stop seeing the other person. That's an extreme case of hierarchy. But it's where one takes importance and there's like a, uh, an order of, of authority on them. Uh, that's, that's hierarchical. And then non-hierarchical is we, you don't have that. Each one is individual. No one mm. has um, authority over any of the others. And the one I um, go by is non-hierarchical because I value autonomy and relationships I have I, I hope other people value autonomy as well so mine's non-hierarchical another form for polyamory is solo where you will uh, your primary relationship is like yourself and you normally live alone you're not living with other people but you you'll have other partners that will come and visit so you'll be dating other people but it's probably more serious than dating mm. so you'll call them partners sometimes but you might not, but you probably won't be living with them. Um, under the more open relationships one, but I guess branched into the swinger, there's a thing called unicorn hunting, which has got a really bad name out there. And it's because it's very hierarchical. You've got a couple, usually heterosexual, um, and it's usually the guy is straight, not always, and the woman is bisexual. And they're looking for a bisexual woman to, to, to have a sexual relationship with. And uh, a woman who is prepared to have a sexual relationship with a couple that can veto her. Like if one of them doesn't like it, they can exit her out of the relationship. Um, it doesn't seem very ethical in that way. Uh, and not many people are into it, but some are. So they're quite rare to find. And there's so many couples looking for it. That's why it's called unicorn, because right. almost impossible to find. Mm. But, they, but they are out there. Uh, I would consider it, but I don't like the idea of um, hierarchy. So uh, mine would be the yeah, non-hierarchical. Triads is another term, and that would normally come under polyamory, and that's where three people are having a relationship together. Mm, and it can be, be open in the fact that you can be seeing other people, or it can be closed where you're not seeing other people. So that, they might call that polyfidelity. And then there's um, something that can go across a whole lot, which is relationship anarchy. And that's what I'd call myself, a relationship anarchist. Look, I'm sorry for all the terms. <laughs> I'm getting carried away yeah. here. Um, and relationship anarchy, it's like um, there's, in society, there's a legal structure, but there's also, um, you know, social norms that says that, you know, romantic relationships and sexual relationships are the highest priority and people are monogamous and people do this and people do that. Relationship anarchists will go, well, we're actually, we're going to reject all that, um, all those norms. We're going to reject the rules 
that um, authority that society puts on us and we're going to design our own relationships. Mm. So somebody's come up with a thing called a relationship anarchy smorgasbord where you can go and pick all the things that you want your relationship to be made out of and you structure it. Like mm. Two people get together or more, yeah. what works for us and you design something that doesn't fit into any of the terms that society has and it doesn't need to so that's relationship anarchy wow that's probably enough on the definitions <laughs> is there any others you've heard of no i think i do you have any i i don't have any terms that i've heard of but the situations that you have mentioned i've heard of some of them mm. yeah. but i don't have exactly the terms that you have mentioned yeah like, I, I don't know what to categorize or like what they would categorize themselves yeah. as. So I think it's learning more about the terms. Mm. I know some people would not prefer to categorize them as like as to like a specific term, I guess. So mm. yeah, it's, I think it's just interesting in learning them. The, the, the terms that we use can be prescriptive or descriptive. So if they're descriptive, it's great for telling somebody, hey, I'm polyamorous, yeah, yeah. and then someone gets an idea of who I am and my relationship structures. But when you go prescriptive and you say, you know, these are the boxes you must fit in, and then when you just choose one of them, you've, you've got to conform to all that. And in a way, it's kind of good because you go into like a monogamous relationship and there's a whole lot of rules that society has put on you. And monogamy is one of them. And there's, there's other ones as well, I imagine. Uh, so they kind of go against our human nature. So to, to find a way to break out of that, I guess, and to create it differently. If you talk to a lot of couples, you'll find that they're doing some things that are outside the norm anyway, because the norms are actually really restrictive in anything, as you probably know, as, as counsellors around sexuality, gender, all that kind of thing. I guess that's what made it easy for me, being transgender, because I've got one norm that I've broken, which is a big one, so all the others are just easy after that. <laughs> If I tell someone I'm bisexual, they go like, duh, you know. <laughs> 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 yeah. I'm just really curious because when you're explaining those definitions, right, you mentioned, you know, some are ethical, some are not that ethical. To you, what is ethical? Ah, okay. So cheating to me is not ethical. So I should probably define that. Actually, that's probably part of my, my story going into it. When I was probably late teens, early 20s. I worked in a very male-dominated um, area. And I found um, a lot of my colleagues were having relationships outside their primary relationships. They were cheating. And it was kind of the norm in that environment. And it just didn't sit well with me because I actually respected my partner. And I didn't, I couldn't, there was a woman. And I couldn't, I couldn't like, be dishonest. I couldn't lie to her, I couldn't hide something from her, especially when we started off almost polyamorous anyway. So I thought, I'm going to do it differently. I'm going to be totally open and honest because that sits well with me um, and I don't want to do it the cheating way. And so it was quite different and there was no term for it then because um, that was in the 70s, late 70s for me, yep, I'm that old. And the term polyamory I don't think came out till the 90s late 80s or 90s, somewhere around about then. So there was no term. I couldn't say, oh yeah, I'm polyamorous, this is who I am, and this is how I identify, and these are all the rules around that. It was like, I just don't want to be a cheat. 
I just don't want to be unethical. I, I want the consent of my partner. I want it to be okay. And that was what made the difference for me. And doing counselling, I've kind of learnt too that if um, infidelity, when you expect think you're in a monogamous relationship, is a huge trust betrayal and can be really traumatic. So now when I come across people that are cheating, I'm just so aware of the, the harm that that can do to their, their partner and I have a, yeah, a bit of a problem with it. Mm-hmm. So that's the, um, yeah, the ethical and not ethical part to me. So I've, I've, I'm very, yeah, I've got strong values around that. And I know I need to be open-minded and working with people, but yeah, I'm very much, and I think that's why it made me polyamorous is, mm-hmm. I just had such a strong value of openness and honesty and communication. I just couldn't go down the cheating road. It just wasn't me. That's really explained because I was like kind of curious as well, you know. How do you define ethical? How do you find this is not ethical? And I think, and I guess everyone have their own definition, but it's more what you said, communication, be open about it, consensual. Yeah, consensual, and I think, like, can someone be hurt from this? If someone can be hurt from this, like, it's likely they're going to be hurt from it. To me, that is unethical. Mm. But, you know, if, you've, if you're going into something where people don't need to be hurt from it, they're probably not going to be hurt from it. To me, that is ethical. So how has this journey been for you? I know you start pretty early where, you know, there's not even a term that can describe your experience. How has that been for you? It's basically been really positive, um, I, I started my very first, um, not my very first, but one of my early sexual relationships was with a, a couple, um, and that's when I discovered like my bisexual side as well. And um, so, to me, being with two people was almost a normal thing. And then when I, I met a partner, I was my not my my second long-term partner. Um, actually dumped me a couple of times because I was too young. There was quite a big age difference mm-hmm. and said I need to find someone younger. So I did. And uh, she came back to me and wanted back into the relationship and I was fine with it. My other partner was fine with it. Mm-hmm. So um, that was that was okay. And then because everything was in the open, I thought everything was okay. Um, when they were both away one weekend, I, had, uh, I slept with... Um, my younger partner's best friend and her fiance, and when my other partners came back, so oh, how was your weekend? I said, oh, it was great, you know, da 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 da. Came over and you know we had a great night. We slept together and we did that. By sleep together, I meant sex, right? I mean, as apart from sleeping, I don't think we slept. And they were shocked. They were um, like, this is not okay. And so I'm very much learning my way there. That oh gosh, this can actually hurt some people. Um, and then my younger partner out of it says, look, I, um, I can't handle this. You know, it needs to be me or her. I need you to make a decision. And I just said, well, you know, it's a person that doesn't give me a relationship ultimatum. So I was quite hard on that one, I guess. But um, that was when I made a, a definite decision that I'm going down this pathway where I'm going to be open. And if I have feelings for other people, I want to be able to, to follow them. And, yeah, without there being a term for it, without there being a culture that I knew of, it was a pretty lonely, it was a pretty lonely road. But I felt strongly about it. It was either that or cheating. And I just, you know, I couldn't handle the cheating. Um, and then I met somebody. Um, I split up with 
it was a seven-year relationship. I split up with that one. I had children with her as well. Um, I met someone else that I had such an amazing close relationship with, and she was still exploring. And we had somebody move in with us and ended up having a relationship between the three of us. So my partner was exploring, I guess, polyamory. She was exploring her bisexual side at the time and really open-minded, a lovely person, but discovered that she was so monogamous, discovered that she was heterosexual and it wasn't really going to work and I was exploring my sexuality too and we were going completely different paths so we, we split and that really hurt that was hard to, to split up with someone where you just love each other so much because these are foundational differences oh that and she wanted children and I couldn't have any more children um, I then went into a relationship later on where um, it started off as pretty much polyamorous and she was seeing somebody else uh, at the time and I was fine with that I thought it was great and then we even got married and I just wanted to share with you um, in our wedding vow it's just a line that I put in there and it was I offer you freedom from traditional marriage expectations so you can explore your desires and passions as they may arise without guilt or secrecy so that was just to make it very clear that we're not going to do the normative thing and you could do your thing. But the thing is, she had an incredibly um, high sensitivity to jealousy and couldn't handle me seeing other women. Um, her background was lesbian, so she struggled with me. She was fine with me seeing other guys, um, especially if it was not relationship, if it was just sexually, but other women she struggled with. And she showed so much pain that I kind of couldn't do it anymore. And it turned out to be a, probably an abusive relationship, I'd say, because I was being coerced into something I didn't want to be. And it was a bit manipulative. But um, I got to experience being pretty much monogamous for a long period of time. And it just wasn't me. It wasn't me because I still had a lot of interest in other people. I fell in love with other people, you know, I had so much love and if I got close to someone I very easily developed feelings for them. I Looking at society um, and the problems that people are having and you look at sitcoms on TV, a lot of them are around um, relationship stuff and the way a lot of people say it is because, oh, because you've fallen for somebody else, you've shown an interest in someone outside your relationship. The way I look at it, that's all fine. The problem is the society is monogamous. If society was polyamorous, all that kind of stuff would be okay. I probably sound a bit biased on that one. but um, And I know monogamy works amazingly well for, for a lot of people, and probably most people, especially when it's supported so well in society. Uh, I feel more secure when my partner's seeing somebody else. To a lot of people, that probably wouldn't make a lot of sense because there's that threat of loss if they're seeing somebody else. But if, if you think about it, uh, the threat of loss is because people, I think in psychology they call it mate switch. They find someone else, it's a monogamous culture, it means they've got to leave this person to go to that person. So if, so if I've got a partner going out and seeing other people, I could lose them. But if they're polyamorous and they're seeing other people and they're still seeing me, there's no reason to dump me to see somebody else. 
I know they're still actively choosing to be with me all the time and that makes me feel more secure. So that goes against the whole jealousy thing, I think. Can I ask, you know, you have like mentioned different relationships that you're in. What makes you or like your partner together to decide, oh, I'm going to get married or we're just being together but we just don't, doesn't really have to be married. Is there like a decision why you make that? I'm just kind of curious. Yeah, they're both the same one. They're both the same decision. I didn't need marriage. I didn't want marriage. But I didn't have a strong value against it either. And um, the first, I've been married twice. And the first partner I married, we were trying to do the traditional thing. Uh, didn't sit well with me in the end. But um, so it was, you know, buy a house, get married, have children, you know, do well at work and, you know, get a white picket fence and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so we did that. And she wanted to get married. And for her... It's like, yes, okay, let's let's do this. You want it, it's neutral to me. Second one um, had been in a lesbian relationship. And this is before marriage equality. And that wasn't something that was available. Uh, and because I was, um, I kind of detransitioned a little bit at the time and was male presenting for a little bit. And, and um, we could, legally we could get married. And she wanted it because it's something that wasn't accessible. And she wanted the special day and wanted to feel special. So of course I do that for her, you know. And it, it, a bad thing I know, but um, marriages are pretty easy to get out of. Uh, once you've been in a relationship for a couple of years anyway, you've got the same sort of legal binds. Um, but marriages in our culture, people are leaving them all the time. Might have been different 100 years ago, might be different in other cultures, but it wasn't such a big thing. But my commitment was a big thing, but it made no difference to me whether I said it or put it on a, an official document. If I made a commitment, I, I meant it. So that's why I got married. It wasn't my thing. I didn't need to, but it was for my partner. The same with terminology, actually. People say, I, I say partners. And a lot of people like that term. I don't have any attachment. I say, to, you know, what do you want to call this thing that we have? Oh, I want to call it partners. I want to call it girlfriends. Okay, fine, we'll do that. I don't think we have anything. Um, you know, some of the people I'm seeing at the moment, somebody definitely wants to call me partner. Someone else I'm seeing def wants to call it girlfriends because she's more hierarchical in her thing. Um, and somebody else that I'm seeing, we just haven't even talked about it yet. Like it doesn't really matter, you know? Yeah. Mm, that's really interesting. And how can you or like your partner, you know, manage different expectation if, you know, expectation can change, right? Like at one point you might feel like, oh, I'm okay with this. And a few years down, you might be, oh, I might want something different. Yeah. And it happens because when you're in a relationship, you're evolving, you're growing and you're changing and you're, you know, exploring things and you're discovering your own boundaries. And yeah, you, you, you do change and the change can be enough to mean the relationship that could come to an end or that it needs some adjustments. So it's really important in polyamory or in probably any ethical monogamous relationship is you have high transparency, high um, communication, you've got to be communicating really well, you have agreements and you reassess your agreements. You don't do like a vow like in wedding and then there's your agreements for life. 
you recognize that you're going to change and you, you, you revisit them and you come back to them and say, you know, I'm different. I don't feel so good about this. I want to do this now. And then you have another conversation. You make new agreements. And that's pretty much what I've done in some circumstances. And it's been fine. And sometimes it means moving apart. Um, someone I broke up with recently kind of found that we had a values clash that just wasn't going to work for us uh, and we split very amicably we're still quite close but it's um, just we're not going to be in as close a relationship at the moment so when I say transparency I'm using that word instead of honesty because you can be technically honest and in your technical honesty you've chosen that meaning of the words you've chosen to just not say that little piece of relevant information but transparency is more like what does my partner really want to know and you tell them that totally openly you don't use anything sly where you're hiding anything you're just totally open with it and that's the best way to go because if you know what each other really wants authentically for themselves you can negotiate something that really works without feeling that oh I wish I had this, but I can't because we agreed this, or I can't because society says that. So it's yeah, it's it's constant, not constant, but regular revisiting and, and re talking about it, communication, which can apply to monogamous relationships as well. Monogamous relationships need it so much, but they quite often don't. Some do, some are great, but some of them don't. They think, well, this is it. We've set this up. This is the way it is. Society tells us how we're private lives have to be now and it doesn't doesn't work that way no i mean why is society dictating what people's private lives are they have for a long time and it's been a patriarchal society and i know that's a part of it have you ever thought of i'm done with polyamory i want to go back to no and one of the reasons um it's been the other way around it's when i found myself in a relationship that's turned out to be a bit monogamous, I was just going, no, this doesn't work for me. And because I've always been polyamorous, a lot of people discover it, they get introduced to it by a partner, explore it, and they go, oh, yeah, this works for me. I never have been monogamous, really. So there's no going back to it. But it, it, being polyamorous is a little bit difficult sometimes. You know, there's um, discrimination, there's, uh, there's stigma in society. Um, my mother, for example, she just cannot distinguish it from infidelity. She thinks I'm cheating on my partners and can't see it any different because she's got some quite conservative views. And that kind of makes me go sometimes, oh, you know, monogamy would be a bit easier in some ways. But then I just know that I'm going to develop feelings for other people and I'm going to want to be able to express those feelings. And if they express feelings to me and we want to get closer, I want to have the freedom to do that. So I've got a high value for freedom and autonomy. That's a big part of it for me. So what you say a lot of people around you, not a lot, but like some people around you might still think you're cheating. Yeah. It's not ethical. Yeah, that's one of the myths, really. Because we're in a monogamous culture, and if you're not monogamous, you're cheating. You know, you're outside your relationship. But if everybody agrees to it, and everybody's okay with it, why is it cheating? That's, so to me, it's not cheating. But some can't see it, probably because they can't understand what non-monogamy is, because they've only ever known monogamy. 
But have you heard of the term compersion? No. So if you think about it, one of the reasons for the value for not for monogamy is that threat of loss. You know, you don't want to lose your partner, so you're kind of bound to them. And that um, feeling that we have when we feel that threat of loss is, um, you know, jealousy. But there's something that is, it's not the exact opposite, but it can go against it. Compersion, uh, I've heard of sympathetic joy. So it's like sympathetic joy, but it's in relationships. So um, if I was in a relationship with you, for example, and you had fallen in love with someone else, you were dating somebody else, you were going out and having a great time, I'm just feeling so good for you. I'm just thinking, yay, Nat's, you know, doing this amazing stuff. She's falling in love. She's feeling so awesome right now. And I'm just feeling so much joy because you're feeling awesome. Because I don't see it as a threat to our relationship. And that's, that's compersion. And if you have high compersion, you tend to have less jealousy. But they're not exact opposites. They can both exist at the same time. What you say, I'm just making huge assumption here. What you say people that um, have a higher tendency of jealousy might not be suitable not suitable but like might not be doing well in like a polyamory relationship yeah that that would be the case i mean jealousy definitely comes up it's it's part of the environment but if you experience it a lot or if you have a high threat of loss it can make it very it can make it difficult i know someone who's very polyamorous um, who I'd also probably say was had quite an insecure attachment style like i um, anxious attached and uh, when their partner is seeing somebody else and they're not part of it, they really have jealousy level FOMO going on. You know, it's like, I don't know if you call it jealousy, but there's this it's emotionally very, very turbulent when their partner is seeing somebody else. If, if they were seeing the other person at the same time as their partner, that's fine. But uh, yeah. Like for that person, it's it's very difficult, and and for others as well, jealousy comes up. So I think if you're experiencing it more than others, it can be difficult. My um one of my partners who did have very high jealousy, she identified as monogamous because of it. She didn't want me seeing other people, but she was seeing somebody else. But identified as monogamous because she didn't want me seeing somebody else because of the high jealousy. Whereas I I didn't experience jealousy really at all so again it's the communication being transparent yeah transparent definitely um definitely helps with that but that was a relationship which wasn't as transparent as i hoped but i i still will stand by that you know that high transparency high communication i mean if you're in an intimate relationship you know you should be sharing those kind of things that's what intimacy is i think it's being transparent not hiding anything Hey, Editing Viv here. Apologies for my voice getting a bit sick. I hope all the listeners enjoyed this episode and have learned a lot about the different terms and Annie's experience in this episode. I know Nat and I have. Um, we'll continue to learn more about the myths about polyamory and Annie's experiences next week. In the meantime, just the usual. Go check us out on Instagram, whyinyour20s.podcast, and we'll see you next time. Bye!